Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen, amen. Hope Church, so glad you've joined us today. I want to jump right in. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, we're going to read a lot of scripture today, so I want you to have it open on your app or maybe if you brought your Bible Um, As you're turning there, if I hadn't got a chance to meet you, my name's Scott. Would love the opportunity to meet you out at guest services in the lobby after the service. Uh, Love meeting new people each week, getting up connected to what God is doing. We got a lot to cover. Um, We got a game coming up later that we got to get to. So uh, let's jump in. Mark chapter 4. I don't have time. We, We preached 16 sermons through the first three chapters of the gospel of Mark. If you don't know, we are studying verse by verse like we have for 20 years at this church through books of the Bible. Last year, we started to to study the gospel of Mark. It's 16 chapters of Jesus's life. And we joked, but it's not really a joke that we're going to take about four years to get through it. And here we are jumping in in 2023 to Mark chapter four. And for the purpose of our time together today, I want to say we basically have seen Jesus begin to do ministry. You can go back and listen to the 16 sermons on the first three chapters. But we've been seeing Jesus do ministry. He's, uh, he's getting people to follow him. There's a bunch of disciples now following him, listening to his teaching there's some people that don't like him very much. They are, he's rocking the boat, if you will, of their religious system. And Jesus has a lot of people now leaning in, listening to what it is he is saying. And we're going to see it later on today and, and throughout the rest of the Gospel of Mark. But Jesus has started to, to draw some lines in the sand, even in the last three chapters. Specifically, he's trying to call out this idea that you can kind of follow Jesus. This is something we'll continue to see, but there's this idea that you can kind of follow Jesus, but kind of not. Well, Jesus is beginning to draw some lines in the sand to say, that's not really how I intended it. The great literary giant of the 20th century, C.S. Lewis, he said it in a way that many of you have heard that was just so helpful and genius. He said, when you really look at Jesus's life, you can't really say that you kind of want to follow Jesus, but kind of not. Here's the quote. He said, you... As you study Jesus's life, he's not really left us that option. Specifically, he says, really, when you study his life, you're left of one of three conclusions. Number one is this man is a bald-faced liar. And if everything he says isn't true, well, then nothing he says can be true. And so we should say Jesus Christ is a liar. But then there's a second way we can view Jesus and it's that he really thinks this is true but he's kind of not all the way there and he belongs in some insane asylum and he is actually kind of crazy and you could say he's a liar or you could say he's a lunatic but of course there's a third option that C.S. Lewis gives us really from the life of Jesus that if he's not a liar and he's not a lunatic then he may be exactly who he says he is which is the Lord of heaven and earth Those are the options Jesus gives. And Jesus is going to even today start to draw those lines to say, you can't kind of believe what I say and kind of not. I'm drawing some lines in 
the sand. And just like he's going to tell a bunch of people today in our text, I want to challenge us to really lean in and listen to what the word of the Lord might be for us today. So I told you to turn to Mark chapter 4. We are going to study 20 verses of scripture today, ladies and gentlemen. I know what time kickoff is. Don't worry, I got you. 20 verses of scripture starting in Mark chapter 4 verses 1 through 20. Hope you have it open there in your lap. Here's the the parable of the sower. Again, he began teaching beside the sea and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He was teaching them many things and parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, but it didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, and when he was alone, those around with him, with the 12, asked about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should be, turn and be forgiven. 13, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the, the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones that are sown on the, on the rocky, sown on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear it, the word, they immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure it for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones that hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke. The word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. This is the word of the Lord. I can't, I can't just breeze by this incredibly bad dad joke. We have to jump in because we have a lot of ground to cover. Some of you are going to get that at halftime. It's cool. It's cool. Some of you are going to get that at halftime and be like, ah, oh, that's what he was saying. Anyways, we got to jump in. What's going on here? Lots of people are following Jesus. So many people he has to get in a boat to teach. Some people are still laughing. They're finally getting it right now. I saw. <laughs> but there's so many people. Scholars say it's not just dozens of people or hundreds of people. Probably thousands of people are now going, okay, you got our attention. They're leaning in and Jesus gets in this boat and he begins to t- teach them in parables. More on that in a minute. But he seemingly intentionally teaches in a way that is vague to people. And then later when his 12 disciples and many other people that were following Jesus, really leaning in, not just fans, their followers, when they got him alone, they began to ask him about the parables and he explained why it is that he 
does this. So that's our roadmap today out of this passage of scripture. We're gonna look at the parable in the first nine verses. Then we're gonna look at a really hard section of scripture in 10 through 12, the purpose of parables. Then we're gonna see in all of our lives this parable explained. So that's the plan today. Let's jump in. Verse two says he was teaching them many things in parables. This is the first of eight parables that we will study in the gospel of Mark. Some of you have been around Bible study or been around church have heard about parables. What is a parable for the sake of clarity? I'm glad you asked. That's my next slide on the screen. A parable, an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. Jesus would often do this. It's one of his favorite tools in his teaching as you follow his life. He would take something that they all could see with their eyes or or touch with their hands or think of their imaginations and, and he would connect that to a spiritual principle, something that they would really be able to learn from. Parables. For example, if I were to give a parable about Las Vegas, let me, let me ask you this. How many people have ever experienced the city of Las Vegas in the middle of the summer? Raise your hand. Amen. If you're not raising your hand, I'm just going to let you know you're not ready. You are not ready. <laughs> Grew up here even every single year. It comes to about August. And I'm like, why do I live here? It's just too much. Relent. But if I were to tell a parable to those of you that raised your hand about Las Vegas, and I were to say, man, I couldn't explain it how hot it was. It was, it was something was so, so hot. I could, I could use a parable to say it was like it was as hot as my seatbelt buckle in the middle of July. And everyone would be like, ah, we get it. <laughs> You're talking real hot, super, super. Like in the moment, every person knew exactly what Jesus was referring to when he pointed at something that he was telling a parable about. But it wasn't just purposeless parables. He wasn't just throwing out cute stories. They were directly related to what was happening spiritually among them. This last week, I was in California with a church planner friend of mine who's planted a church in San Luis Obispo, California. And and he taught on the parables. And so when I was explaining this message and talking about coming back here to hope to preach it, he said something I thought was so helpful. He said, Jesus, in these parables was connecting what was happening around them with what was happening inside them. That's what a parable is. Here's something I can point to, but I want to make a direct link to the things that are going on in you spiritually. And there wasn't one person that day on the shore under the sound of his voice that wouldn't know exactly what he was referring to when he started talking about a farmer sowing seed. We may not get that. We're not an agricultural society, but everyone on the sea that day would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about. So then he jumps in with a really important word. Look at it on your lap there in verse three. Listen, and it has an exclamation point. This is not in the original language, a a word that is the normal word for hear or listen. In fact, it's an imperative. We've been trying to teach you what imperatives mean. Imperatives means it's not a suggestion. He's not saying casually listen if you have a chance. He's saying this is a command. I want you to listen. The the Greek actually has a little more sauce on it than normal to really mean don't just casually hear this. Lean in. Listen with attention. I don't want you to miss this. That's why, in fact, he says later on to the disciples, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand any of them. I want you to lean in and listen. That's been the challenge for us today. I've been praying that our whole church, and this is now the third service, we would lean in to see what God might have for each and every one of us today. 
And he begins to teach this parable. I will not go verse by verse through this. I'll paraphrase it. In verses 3 through 9, he tells the story of four types of ground. He says, first, some seed falls on a hard, packed-down path. But it has no way to penetrate the ground to actually establish roots. And so the birds come and snatch it away. That's number one. Then he said, some seed fell on rocky soil where it had no depth. So when as soon as the sun came up, the, the little root that it had, it was, it, was, it was scorched away. That's two. Then he talks about a third soil. It, it is soil, but it's also full of weeds and thorns. And so the, the fruit of the seed is being choked out. That's three. And then a final soil is good soil. It produced an abundance of fruit. He tells this story, and then I want us to lean into this for a minute. He does something extremely weird. And for honestly, some of us, probably a little frustrating. Jesus tells this random, vague story, and then he says these words in verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Why would Jesus do that? Again, I want you to not look at this with your sanitized church glasses on. What are you doing, Jesus? I remember when I first started reading the Bible, I was a senior in high school. I'd just given my life to Christ. And I remember the first time I came across this phrase. Because you're going to see if you study Jesus' life, he actually says it a lot. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Like, come on, Jesus. You are the son of God. You are God in the flesh. Why don't you take the time to sit down with a cup of good Galilean coffee with every person on the sea that day and make sure they really understood why, why would you not sit down with every person and say, hey, I want to really make sure you get this. This is, this is life and death stuff. This is really, really important. Jesus, why did you not do that? In fact, in a sense, Jesus was practicing this parable, if you think about it. He was throwing out the seed of this story, knowing there was going to be some good soil on the seashore that day. Listening ears, people that would really follow but a lot of them, maybe even most of them, would not. And here's what I want us to just be okay with for a minute, wrestle with for a minute. Jesus knew that to be true, and it seems like he was very okay with that. Again, maybe you're here and you're thinking, I don't like it. What's up with that? Why would Jesus do that? Here's why I think Jesus would do that, and we'll continue to see this as we study Jesus knew that there were a ton of people hearing his words that day that really had no desire to ever follow them anyways. Jesus knew that there were a bunch of people in the crowd that day politely nodding in agreement, but never having an ounce of desire to actually follow what he said. They might have been nodding in agreement but inwardly, they were rebelling against what he was saying as he was saying it. And here's the hard truth for us today. That's true of every single church that's meeting right now all over the world. In a sense, I am throwing out the seed right now of God's word. And there are people here today that are nodding in agreement, but inwardly having no real desire to follow anything that doesn't suit their needs. 
rebelling, if you're honest. That's why I love the pastor, Chuck Swindoll. He said it like this. A person who has ears to hear but does not hear is unwilling to listen and heed such a message. This is a picture of stubborn rebellion. Swindoll went on to say in his commentary, he who has ears to hear, this line from Jesus is is really him in effect saying, let those who are not rebellious receive this teaching. Those of you that are not just rebelling in your hearts, and now I want you to hear and receive this teaching. So Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then get this, he leaves. (laughs) I want us to feel that for a moment. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Come on, guys, let's go. <laughs> Whoa, Jesus, where's the, where's the emotional plea? The really passionate altar call. Where's the, where's the explanation? What are you doing? You're, you're losing a bunch of people here. That's exactly what the disciples thought. What's happening? Look at verse 10. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. This isn't just the 12, by the way. These are the people that were following. It seems to be the 12 and the the real followers of Jesus. I want us to picture this and look at this in in the humanity. They're thinking, uh, are we going to talk about what just happened? (laughs) Remember, this is the first parable. They've never seen Jesus do this. Uh, Jesus, why did you do that? And then Jesus begins to explain why he did that. And it brings us to our second section, the purpose of the parables. And I just want to say out front, we right now are are jumping into the deep end of the pool. We're going to wrestle some hard stuff. As you'll see in verse 11 through 12, it'll be on the screen. They asked him, what's up with that? And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, and then right here, your your Bible kind of looks different, I bet, because it's a quotation. It's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah. So why did this happen? And he begins to quote Isaiah chapter 6. That they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Every single commentary that I read this week as I dug into this hard passage of Scripture all said the same thing about this section. They said this is one of the many hard sayings of Jesus. There's some hard sayings of Jesus. Okay, God, what what do you mean by that? And by the way, that's why we preach verse by verse through passages of Scripture, through books of Scripture. It'd be really easy to do a a series on the parables and completely skip verses 10 through 12. (laughs) But as a church for 20 years, we've intentionally taught through books of the Bible so that we can not avoid the hard texts of Scripture because the hard texts of Scripture are where we really begin to see God do some stuff in us. Do some work in us. So what does it mean? What does he say here? Let's jump in. Verse 11, he says, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom, but for everyone else, parables. As I studied this, as our pastoral team wrestled with this, what Jesus seems to offer here is a twofold explanation of why he teaches in parables. And the first one's hard. 
Jesus seems to first say that he intentionally teaches in a way to conceal the truth from people who are hard-hearted. But he also teaches in such a way, number two, where he reveals the truth to the people who had ears to receive it. She walked through Jesus' parables. He intentionally teaches in a way where he is concealing the truth from people that were not able to receive it and reveals the truth to people that had ears to hear and hearts ready to receive it. And he randomly seems to quote Isaiah chapter 6. Again, these are good Jewish boys and girls that he is talking to. They would have known immediately. This was a quote from Isaiah chapter 6. Probably had it memorized. They begin to quote, he begins to quote Isaiah chapter 6 as a fulfillment of the very prophecy that Isaiah gives. We have to understand about this passage of scripture, or maybe Isaiah's ministry in general, is that Isaiah had a very tough gig. You can go back and read the book of Isaiah. He's the prophet of God, constantly telling people the truth about God and being rejected over and over and over again. Nobody was coming up to Isaiah at the end of his sermon saying, what a good word, pastor. Ignoring it, rejecting it over and over and over again. Is, this is Isaiah's ministry, constantly telling people the truth of God and constantly seeing them reject it and ignore it. And we read in Isaiah that they ignored it to the point where their consciences were so seared and they had become so spiritually dull that they were actually unable to respond positively to the word Isaiah was saying. They had become deaf to the truth of God. Jesus seems to be saying here, yeah, those people on the seashore, even though there was thousands of them, their consciences have become so seared, they've actually become deaf to the truth that I was saying. So I said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The principle for us is a hard one. We can continue to over and over and over and over again, respond negatively and, and, and reject and not have ears to hear and become hard to the truth of God, become deaf to the truth of God. R. Kent Hughes said it like this. This principle is parallel in other areas of life. Physically, if we fail to exercise a muscle, we will, own, we will one day lose its use. Some of you have heard of that. It's called atrophy. It is the same with our intellectual powers. If we fail to use them, there will come a time when we will not be able to summon their full power. God confronts us with his truth. But if we do not positively respond to it, we will eventually lose it. What a solemn reality for those who sit under the teaching of God's word week after week and do not respond to it. Jesus seems to be saying here that if you and I repeatedly hear God's word and refuse to respond time and time again, reject it, mock it, and refuse to have ears to hear. There will come a time where our hearts will be so hardened that not only will we not respond, we won't be able to respond. And this is a hard saying. But it's not one we don't see show up in the word of God. 
Some of you remember the story when Moses and Aaron were telling the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, to let God's people go. If you go back and read Exodus over and over and over again, Pharaoh says, no, no, no. And the Bible says, Pharaoh hardened his heart and said no. Pharaoh hardened his heart and said no. Over and over and over again, Pharaoh is hardening his own heart, but there's a turn that happens. You can go back and read it, but there's a time when it says, not only did Pharaoh harden his heart, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart. In the New Testament, Paul the apostle is writing to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 1. And he's writing and he's talking to people who claim to be followers of Jesus, but they're living completely contrary to what followers of Jesus live like. They're living a debaucherous lifestyle. And he actually tells them that God has, and here's the term, given them over to a debased mind. Another translation says he has abandoned them to their foolish thinking. It's almost as if there comes a place and a point in our lives if we're just constantly rejecting God where God says, this is what you want. You've shown me a million different ways. This is what you want. Then this is what you will get. And there's a turning over to our own ungodly desires. And it seems like Jesus is saying, when I was saying that on the seashore, my words had become incomprehensible to the people listening because they had become completely deaf to the things of God. This is a hard saying. You may say, man, what does that look like? I'm kind of freaking out right now. How does it, what, is, what do you mean you can, you can get to a place in your life where God gives you over to the desires of your flesh? What does it look like to be given over and honestly I don't think any pastor in the world can with integrity point to a chapter verse that tells you exactly what that looks like. That's a mystery of God. But we do see there comes a point where we continue to reject and ignore and mock where we are given over to our own desires. And here's what I want. I want to turn the page on some good news. If you're here today and you're thinking, oh my gosh, have I gone too far? Have I crossed that line to be given over to my own desires? I believe with my whole heart that if you're even thinking that, that is actually proof that you are not there yet. It is proof that God is still at work. If you're here today and you're thinking, I don't even care about that, that's a different story. But if you're, if you're worrying about, if you're too far gone, I believe it is proof that God wants to take the tool of his word today in the hands of his spirit and get at your hard heart today. Lean in. Have ears to hear what he might want to say. This is a hard text of scripture. But Jesus begins to explain it. And that's the parable explained. He retells the parable. But he gives some, some different characteristics. He talks about the, the seed being the word of God or the truth of God or the gospel of God. And all of the Four different soils represent, seems to be the conditions of our hearts. So there's four conditions of the heart. And as we go through each one, I want us all to introspectively ask the question, what is the condition of my heart? We've prayed that God would use this message to really help us see the true condition of our heart as we walk through this parable once Again, he starts off by talking about the hard heart. 
I won't read every word of these verses, but the hard heart is, so, is sown on that hard-packed dirt. And Satan immediately comes and, and takes away the word that is sown in them. This is the hard-hearted person. Immediately, like birds to a seed, because the, the ground has been so hardened, Satan takes away anything the Lord might want to do. For each of these, I want to kind of characterize them with a posture statement. Here's what the hard heart says. I don't want God. I don't need God. I don't believe in God. This is resistant, rebellious. There's no hint of the seed of God's word penetrating this hard heart. You got to know I've prayed for you today. I have prayed that God would get in that hard heart of yours and really start to do some cultivating, tilling work. There's a second heart, the shallow heart. The shallow heart sown on, the seed was sown on rocky ground, immediately receives it with joy, but it has no root. So when tribulation and persecution arises, immediately they fall away. This is a picture we've probably all seen. It's an emotional response to God's truth. You've been there before. I've been there before. The emotions are high. The keyboard player comes out and, and plays in, in the Holy Spirit's favorite key, which is the key of C, by the way, if you didn't know that. And the, and the, the pad's going, Wah! and the pastor's preaching, and he's sweating a little bit, and all the emotions are high, and all the people just respond in obedience emotionally. And some of you know my story. That's exactly what happened to me. <laughs> That's why I kind of feel like I can make fun of it for a minute. 20 years ago at a summer camp, that's exactly what was happening. The, the worship guy was playing a pad in the key of C. The, the pastor was getting up and the, and the climax of his message. And I came down, I'm crying. I gave my, I went to my youth pastor. I said, I want to get saved. And the emotions were high, but here's what happened that day. Yes, the emotions were high, but the seed of God's word took root in my life. And it began to bear fruit. Here's what I'm not saying. Hear me clearly. Emotions are not bad. God created emotions. He created affection. There should be emotion when you cross over from death to life. You better believe there's some emotion when you give your life to Jesus. But emotion separated from truth is shallow and unrooted. And so many people can point back to an emotional experience they had, but it wasn't rooted in the truth that resulted in zero life change and they are just like this parable. They have no root. And so as soon as something bad comes along, they wither away. That is some of your story. These are the people that, that have no root in Jesus. They just kind of like to talk about the things of God. There's a lot of emotion, but no root. The preacher of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said it best. Then there are many more whose religion must be sustained by enthusiastic surroundings. They seem to have been baptized in boiling water. And unless the temperature around them is kept up to that point, they wither away. Here it is. The religion that is born of mere excitement will die when the excitement is over. Listen, you know this, but you can't take Pastor Teddy with you all throughout your week. Even with podcasts and all the ways we can get sermons, you're not listening to great preaching every single moment of the day. The excitement will be over. We praise God for the environments we create here. We do it on purpose. I believe emotion is great in the context of what we're doing here. But if the emotion is all we're banking on, we have no roots. 
These are the people that say, I love Jesus until it gets too hard for me. I love Jesus until he gives me something that I don't like very much and then I'm out. I need to remind you that following Jesus, because some of you have heard bad teaching on this, by the way. Following Jesus is not all rainbows and butterflies. You have to hear that suffering and persecution and what these verses talk about, those are not potential for the Christian. Those are a promise for the Christian. Look at what Jesus said. Look at what Jesus said. (laughs) John chapter 16. Here on earth, this is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. You will have many trials and sorrows. People like to take a sharpie to that verse. That exists in the word of God. So how on earth do we stay rooted? Because of what the end of the verse says. Take heart. Because the one you're rooted in, Jesus Christ, he has overcome the world. That's why we can have hope. That's why we can take heart. But fret not, there will be persecution and trials that come your way. And the people that are of shallow heart, they bail as soon as that comes. Because there's no root. The shallow heart says, I I want an easy way. I I want an easy God. And I am willing to follow if it costs me nothing. There are a lot of Christians that have people in their lives with shallow hearts. Sit right next to them at church. Go through all the motions, but they just want an easy God and are willing to follow if it costs them nothing. Jesus is drawing some lines in the sand today. There's a third heart, the divided heart. These are Seed that's sown among thorns and the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things choke the word and it proves unfruitful. How many times I can testify in my life that I've let those things choke out what God desires to do in me. Maybe you have too. That cares of the world in the original language literally means the distractions of this age. So many distractions of this age that have choked out some good fruit that God wants to bear in my life and your life. This one to me is the most deceiving. And it's the most deceiving because this is the one you can fake the easiest. Because if if we're honest, there's times where weeds can actually look like good fruit. Some of you don't believe me, but I... uh, I have a bunch of grass at my house. My wife and I wanted to buy a house with grass. If you work for the water district, don't worry. I I water on my watering days, okay? Don't worry about it. See that little car giving people tickets around my neighborhood. I'm like, man, get out of here. But I've tried to grow some grass. Growing grass in Las Vegas is hard. That's why most of you have desert landscaping. But what happens is there's good grass, Bermuda, lush, awesome. And then there's this nasty Las Vegas native thing called crabgrass. And it's gross, and it's not soft, and it's hard, and it hurts my kids' feet. But here's what I've learned. This is a little trick that you can put into practice in your own life. If you mow it at the right time, it all looks the same. (laughs) I'm serious. If I know people are coming over, like people are coming over to my house for Super Bowl today, and what did I have my son do? I said, go outside and mow the lawn. Why? Because when you mow the lawn, just only a couple days, you'll actually see the real grass and the weeds look exactly the same. But I'm the owner. So I know exactly. People go and say, oh, man, you have a great looking yard. I'm like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I know exactly where the crabgrass is. And I know exactly where the real grass is. Why? Because I'm the owner. But when you mow the weeds, they look just like the grass. Some of 
you right now. Churches are full of people right now that right before they come to church or right before they come to small group, what do they do? They fire up that lawnmower and start mowing the yard. They start mowing the lawn of their life. Why? Because nobody can tell the difference when they see them and they look like the part and they have their church face on because the weeds look just like the real grass. But here's what I want you to hear today and here's what this is saying. The owner knows. The owner knows exactly what's underneath the surface and here's the heart of this. He's calling you out. He's calling you to more. He's saying, I'm here to uproot that junk. I'm here to to show you where the weeds are. Stop faking it. Stop just mowing over your life and and looking the part. I want to get under there and it's going to look ugly for a little while, but I want to actually get some good soil where real good fruit can come. This is what this divided heart is. The divided heart says, I want God, but I want everything else I have too. Does he have to be first in my life? Some of you, as soon as you saw some of those phrases, you're going, man, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things. I've seen that even maybe right now choking out what God wants to do in my life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because there's a fourth soil. It's the fruitful heart. This is good soil where the word is sown and they accept it and bear fruit. This is so good. The original word for accept in the Greek language means this, to receive with obedience. It's this idea of soil that is just ready and ripe to bear fruit. Praise God for people in this church that right now are are trying to see the Lord cultivate in them good soil. These are not just people nodding in agreement like some on the seashore that day, but are really leaning in to say, I want my life to be changed. I'm not just nodding in agreement. I'm leaning in to say, change me, Lord. Bear fruit through me. Your fruitful heart says, I need God. And I will surrender everything to follow and know him. Listen, church, this is the kind of people we want to be as a church. Imagine if we all heeded the warnings of teachings like this. This is why we dive deep into hard texts of scripture like this. Imagine if we all together with with the word of God as the tool in the hands of the Holy Spirit, we allowed him to till up our soil, cultivate those things that don't need to be there. And we all became good and fruitful soil. What could God do through this fellowship? I pray for that in my own life and in our lives as a church. What? is the condition of your heart today. person sitting next to you can't answer that question. Your spouse can't answer that question. Your mom and dad can't answer that question. Only you can really get with the Lord and say, God, what is the condition of my heart? I believe Jesus is drawing lines in the sand. He's calling some of us out to say, I want more for you. I have such good desires for you to bear fruit. So if you're here today and you have a fruitful heart, praise God. Listen, I'm not saying you're not perfect. I know you're not perfect. I'm not saying if you sin this week, you don't have a fruitful heart, but I'm saying a fruitful heart understands our need for the gospel. A fruitful heart understands how we need dependence on Jesus. When we sin, we mess up, we remind ourselves of who we are in Christ and he brings us back. We say it all the time. I want you to get it in your mind. Sanctification, becoming more and more like Jesus, is a process. 
And it's an ugly, messy, slow process. But when you're rooted in Christ, he will bear fruit. And I'm going to wait on the Lord like we sang about so passionately earlier. Maybe you're here and you have a divided heart. You look at your life and you got stuff creeping in, choking out what God wants to do. You've let affluence and comfort and power and position and privilege and all the things of this world choke out what God wants to do again. I hope you hear the word of the Lord today. Let him do the hard work in your heart to cultivate and to till. There's some here with a shallow heart and I wanna speak to you pretty poignantly for a minute believe God put this on my heart this week. There are people here with a superficial faith. If you were honest, you're, you are that person that's looking back years or maybe decades in an experience you had at a revival or a summer camp or a church service where you're looking back and you say, oh yeah, it was an emotional experience and I gave my life to Jesus. But fast forward 20 years and there's been no real fruit in your life. There's been no evidence that the spirit of God lives in you. Nobody around you would look at you and say, this person follows Jesus. I want to help you and challenge you today that you might be basing your faith on what is not real. Superficial, not rooted. First John chapter three says it like this. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Hear my heart on this. If you're here today and your only testimony of following Jesus is an experience years and years and years ago, but there's no real fruit in your life. There's no real affection for Jesus in fact, what that verse just said would ca characterize your life. You make a practice of sinning without any real repentance, without any real guilt or shame that I'm walking in ways God doesn't want me to. Listen, you need to hear this. You might not be a follower of Jesus. You may be somebody who's planted in really rocky soil that had an emotional decision, but as soon as the cares of the world took over, it withered away. But there's good news for you. You are here today seeing the line drawn in the sand. And Jesus may want you to hear today that he in fact did come to this earth to die on a cross for the sin that right now you are practicing habitually. He died to set you free of that. He died to give you a real testimony where real fruit is being born in your life. And I just believe there are people here that for years have pointed to one single instance but God wants to give you abundant life every day. So maybe in just a moment as we stand to sing, you, you need to come have a conversation with somebody about giving your life to Jesus. Yes, with emotion, but firmly rooted in who you are in Christ and experience salvation for the first time today. Finally, there's the, the hard heart. I can't give you a chapter and verse for when God turns us over to our desires. But here's what is true. There will be a day when your rebellion and resistance and anger, when God gives you over to the desires of your heart. And I promise you in that moment, there will come a time where you will regret your self-willed attitude towards a God who is so benevolent to you so good to you, to the fact that he came to this earth to die for you. And I've prayed and prayed and prayed that today would be a day that the tool of the word of God would be in the hands of the spirit of God 
and he would be cultivating and tilling. And no matter how hard the ground is, stirring up that soil so that it could become good and fruitful soil. So I don't know how you need to respond today. We're going to have pastors up here like we always do. I had a young man come down early last service and just said, I, I, I need a fruitful heart. I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe that's your step today. Maybe the Holy Spirit's putting it on your heart right now. Yes, I need, to, I need to start walking in a relationship with Jesus that I've never walked in. We want to show you how to do that. Maybe you want to get at this altar like several people did in our earlier services and just cry out to the Lord because you know the stuff going on in your heart. You know the condition of your heart. We're not going to ask you questions. Just get up here and be with the Lord. Whatever he is leading each and every heart in the room to respond, would we be obedient? Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word, even when it's hard. Holy Spirit, to every condition of the heart in the room, would you speak? Would you move? Would you cultivate and till and make us that good soil, Lord? We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's worship today.